Merry Christmas, Smith Falls. This is Smith Falls On, a podcast all about Smith Falls and the people in it. And on this episode, we have a very wonderful, talented artist, Colleen Gray. Colleen Gray is known for her work with watercolor paint on synthetic paper. They apparently don't mix that well. It's kind of like oil and water, but that is the challenge. That is the beauty. And this is this sort of new technique and medium that uh, she has pervaded and pioneered all herself. Colleen Gray. She is an Indigenous artist, a Métis artist with roots out on the East Coast. And Colleen also runs a very cool project called Art for Aid. All the proceeds from her merch, i.e. prints, cards, postcards, greeting cards, uh, all the the non-original stuff that she does, that, that she sells as merch, all the proceeds go to Art for Aid. What does Art for Aid do? It sends art supplies to remote First Nations communities so that children can have a better art experience in their life and 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 do art just like kids should. They should be painting from finger painting to drawing to to all to everything. Give kids the tools to make some art to express themselves. That's what Art for Aid does. Colleen Gray, she's a talented artist and a wonderful volunteer, fundraiser, philanthropist, uh, and a great lady. And she came in and had a chat with me, and we are going to get right to that right after we talk sponsor stuff, folks. Here's the big message, folks. There's a Christmas show, and it's happening in two days, and in three days, because there's two of them. There are two Christmas shows, Friday, December 3rd. And Saturday, December 4th, the third annual Amber McLean Christmas show brought to you this year by us, the podcast, and also by the Arts Hub, where you can find Colleen Gray's works hanging on the wall for the month of December, and by Say Too. Everybody knows Say Too. Everybody loves Say Too. Go down, get a coffee, get a muffin, get a loaf of bread. It's the best. And Howard, Kelford, and Dubois, barristers and solicitors, they are there for all your legal needs. You buy in a house, you're updating your will, you have a legal need, they can help you out. And also supporting this show is the town of Smith Falls through their On the Roll program. Very supportive of the arts, our town. Thankful, thankful, thankful. So if you don't have your tickets yet, there's still time, folks. There's not much time. There's not much time at all. This stuff's happening very soon, Friday and Saturday night. Get your tickets before they are gone at ticketsplease.ca. Jump right there by going to sfon.ticketsplease.ca. Pick your night, pick your seat, pay your price, get your ticket. Online at ticketsplease.ca. Today pattern, let's get at her. Tisket-tasket, pink and yellow basket. Testing, testing, one, two, three. So Colleen Gray, very nice to meet you. I've heard a lot about you through uh, Amber and the Arts Hub, but this is the first time, uh, I think this is the first time we've met in person. person. I, I Cor- think so, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, No, I think you're right about that. Yeah. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. We're Happy ro- to be here. We're rolling. Okay. Um, so you are currently on exhibit. At the Arts Hub. Not you, but your your work. (laughs) Um, But you, in a sense, will be, because you're doing an event. 
at the Arts Hub. You yes. can do a little art talk yes. on uh, December 11th, 2 to 4. You're uh, doing an art talk. That's correct. At the Arts Hub. And uh, and your your works are going to be on the walls all month long. Mm-hmm. I've been checking them out. I really enjoy them well, myself. Um, how'd you get started in this game? Uh, painting or art for you? Yeah. Uh, let's start. Yeah. Let's start painting? at the bottom with the painting in, sure. in general. Like for um, the, this, this whole painting thing, fine art. Well, I kind of, I've, I've always been an artist, uh, even as a kid, I, I would, you know, used to love to go to the Chinese food restaurant in Petawa and I would draw the dragon on the menu and yeah, <laughs> yeah I used to do that over and over and over again. So I can draw dragons spot on. I used to love drawing dragons oh, when I was a kid. Oh, the I drew best. so many dragons. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think, I think all kids kind of look at a dragon and go, oh, I need to draw that. Yeah. Um, so I always did that. Uh, and then I, but I, I never did very well in school. Uh, because I didn't really think inside the box that they wanted me to think inside of. Yeah. Um, and so I struggled with that. I've always kind of struggled with thinking inside the box. Um, and so I just, you know, I just taught myself. And uh, and then one day I was at uh, an art school fair in Ottawa, and I learned about um, ground mineral watercolors. Mm-hmm. And I also learned about alcohol ink and synthetic paper. And so I was really excited about both of them, and I bought uh, I bought a bunch of each of the stuff, and I went home, and a couple of days later, I had them sitting on the table. I had the watercolor paper and my my mineral watercolor paints on one side, and I had the alcohol ink and the synthetic paper on the other side, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do first, because I knew nothing about either. Yeah. And, uh, and so... Because I don't think inside the box, I pulled over the synthetic paper and I pulled over the watercolor paint and I applied watercolor to synthetic paper, which mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of like nails on a chalkboard to most artists uh, who are classically trained. And uh, I absolutely went wild over the effect that that happened in front of me. Yeah. And uh, and I thought this is great. Like, how come I don't know about this? And and how come there isn't anything out there? And I spent about three months uh, scouring the internet and group chats and uh, and talk forums, Reddit even, trying to find somebody who was doing what I was doing and nobody was doing it. And uh, and so I just kept on doing it and pioneered techniques. And, and so, do you uh, think you're genuinely the first at, at um, combining these two mediums? You know what? I'm sure I'm not the first, um, but I think I'm I'm one of the f- the first people who stuck with it. Yeah. And, and wrote it out until I could figure out how it all went together. Yeah. Um, and now I have a whole lot more control and I have a, a whole lot more mastery over some of the techniques that I've developed. And so I've started teaching it because I think a lot of people should know how to do this because yeah. it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. So I don't know a lot about painting. I haven't, I haven't done much paint other than painting my house. <laughs> um, I've done like a couple little painting projects on canvas, maybe one or two. I'm intrigued about exactly, because uh, I read that in your bio, you know, oil, the whole oil and water thing. It, what what challenges does that create, like, at first, when, 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 when these two materials are kind of, they're clashing, I guess? Yeah. They're not really kind of wanting to, does the, is the drying process take a lot longer? Because you have to wait for the water paint to, like, fully dry out. It's not soaking in, or how does that tell me? I, I want to I be able to envision it. Okay, uh, so 
Um, on the contrary, it, it dries very quickly. Water evaporates um, rather quickly, depending, of course, on, on the amount of uh, moisture in the room. Yeah. So very dry room, it evaporates more quickly. Right. A, a very um, uh, humid room, it, it's, more, it's more slowly, it evaporates. You know what? Okay, so I'm just going to totally artist speak here. So yeah. um, when, you, when you put this synthetic paper down and you begin to work with these ground mineral uh, paints, and there's actual ground minerals. If, if you're painting with lapis lazuli, you are painting with ground lapis lazuli yeah. and gum arabic and the other ingredients inside. Um, so you start to uh, apply these paints, and it takes a while to learn the consistency that you that you need to best make it happen. But when you begin to apply these paints, um, these incredible little geological explosions begin to happen in the paint and the water, and they're happening right in front of you in real time. Um, and as the water moves, it moves the paint with it. It takes everything on a journey. Uh, water is tremendously uh, conductive, uh, so your emotional state is quite often reflected in the piece that you're doing. Um, and I've seen evidence of that again and again and again uh, with the students that I've worked with. So you're, you know, you're working on a completely non-porous surface. It's 100% non-porous. So mm -hmm. the water and the paint essentially sit on the surface of the paper and you're sculpting with your brush. Right. Uh, and as the water evaporates, the consistency and the viscosity changes, um, the, the uh, distribution of the paint and the water changes. So you're constantly monitoring every single step of the way. You, you, can't, you can't work on one section without going back to the other sections constantly because you're babysitting the entire uh, piece in front of you. You'll add water, you'll take water away, you'll add paint, you'll take paint away. Um, it's a it's a painful process if you are married to an outcome. Uh, it's tremendously freeing if you just let your spirit and your 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 heart go with the flow, literally, mm -hmm. and just continue to put water on the on the paint and water on the on the page and and let everything move together. Um, I've had situations where people have gotten so deeply involved in the painting that they were doing uh, that they've had tremendous emotional releases. Mm -hmm. um, there's something about it. There's just something. Water is a is a powerful conductor. It's a it's a powerful emotional channel, um, and so quite often it has the ability to draw emotions forward and. Even though we try to hide them, they come forward in the paint. And I don't really know how it all works. It's very mysterious. But I've started, uh, I've done some work with the trauma survivors um, and asked them to bring their trauma forward in their mind and uh, work with this particular technique. And uh, what they've discovered, all of them, I've worked with six people now, and all of them have said the same thing, um, that even though when they thought about their trauma, it came forward in a violent way in their mind, working on this medium, because it's so unusual and it, it is so engaging and hypnotic, it, it literally drowned out the trauma mm -hmm. for the next four hours. So yeah, it's it's pretty amazing stuff to work with. You mentioned how, how quickly it does dry and it's mm -hmm. constantly changing. I guess that, does that create a bit more of a sense of urgency to that type of creation as opposed to painting on another medium where you might be able to step back and cross your arms and look at mm. it for half an hour. Like you've got to keep going at a certain point. Well, it how does that work? It really kind of depends on how big a mess your brain is. If you are a person who is classically trained in, in art, you'll sit down and you'll want to tear your eyes out. 
because nothing conforms to the way it's supposed to conform. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work within the rules. And one of the things I tell my students when they show up is just every rule that you know about watercolor painting, you can just leave at the door because none of that applies here. And, uh, and and they don't believe me. And so they try to create a fox or they try to draw trees or they, you know, they try to make it do what it's supposed to do on watercolor yeah. paper. And it just doesn't want to do it. Water is powerful and it's going to do what it wants to do. Gravity, water, um, the tilt of your table, uh, your breath, even, you know, all, all of these things are elements in the design uh, prospect of what's sitting in front of you. But if you think you're going to be able to sit down and control it, you've got another thing coming. Yeah. You know, you get to get you get to do that later once you learn some techniques and some finesse. But in the beginning, you're you know, first of all, people are shocked at the amount of water that goes on your paper, right? Because uh, they're just not used to that. Um, and then the water doesn't go anywhere; it stays there in a pool. You have to deal with what to do with this paint and water, and where am I going to make it go, and how do I make it look really, really pretty? Yeah. Um, so once you're finished wrestling with all of that, then you start to enjoy it. And it takes some people about an hour or so before they finally figure it out and well, i should try people. this we were talking about yeah, letting should. go on your way in here and admitting a, a lack of control well and that's what i love about this is that it it there's a freedom in um creating something beautiful that you only have partial control in you know you really you do have to work with the element um and you have to come to an agreement with with what's happening in front of you <laughs> you have to be ready to sacrifice the work at any given time to throw more paint and water on it because mm -hmm. it's not going to look the same if you think you're going to make a few brush strokes and uh, and <clears throat> make it look like a flame it's not it's not going to look like a flame it's going to look like something that has a line and a blob at the end of it because of the way the medium speaks yeah. and you have to learn this whole language about how this medium speaks if you're going to try to control it but it is a lot of fun to make mistakes on it it's a lot of fun so what kind of brushes are you using i think i have about 60 brushes but really the only thing that the only thing i really use are a couple of liner brushes or riggers and i use maybe like a couple of number four round brushes, maybe a number six round brushes, and occasionally a mop. But primarily, I'm working with liners and riggers. Yeah, unless I'm doing tiny, tiny work, then it's like little micro brushes and mm -hmm. a magnifying glass. <laughs> yeah. So is this your exclusive medium at this point, or are you still working in other yeah, mediums yeah. as well? I do a lot of, uh, I love to do line line work. Um so on, I use uh, Arches uh, uh, cold press or hot press paper. It's nice and smooth and it really, it's a block. So I don't have to worry about bending and warping with water, yep. but I'll use, uh, I'll do um, uh, images in, in line. It's really kind of hard to, to describe what I do. My art is based on my own experiences and interpretations of the life that I live as a, as a, a an indigenous Métis person. And I don't just... It's not just words on paper or words in the air. I I I, I am it. I I am that life. Yeah. You know, I we smudge, we pray, we ceremony, we you know, this is a part of who I am. It it and it took me a really long time to find that part of me that was missing. Mm -hmm. Um but then when I did find it and uh, and I really got comfortable with it, um it was a whole other world for me. And so uh through my art um, a lot of those understandings come forward. A lot of the stories that I've been told, uh, things spoken around 
campfires and fasts and, and sweat lodges. And, you know, I spent a lot of time listening and then a lot of time painting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, a lot of this stuff is really based on experience and imagination, I guess. So you sort of came to your uh, indigenous identity later in life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably, um, I don't know, maybe 23 years ago, 24 years mm-hmm. ago. I knew all along, I was sure of it, that, that our our family had uh, indigenous blood in it, but I didn't really care that much. Yeah. <clears throat> but then I saw a picture of my grandpa, and I thought, oh, that guy's an Indian. <laughs> For sure he was an Indian. And so I uh, I started asking my aunts and uncles, and I had 16 of them, so there was a handful of them to ask. But I realized later on that they grew up in the era where uh, you were absolutely certain that you would never tell anybody that you had indigenous blood in your family because you would lose your children. You'd lose, you could, you know, you could lose a lot of stuff. You would be hated. You'd be persecuted. You'd right. be, you know, it was a bad, bad time to be uh, an indigenous person on the East Coast. Um, and so they, they just, you know, denied that. But um, then one day my uncle was talking about uh, moose hunting. And I said, well, wait a minute. You can't be moose hunting. Like, it's not season right now. And if you're hunting, you're poaching. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't poach. And I said, well, then how can you be hunting? And he pulled a status card out. And he said, because I have this. He says, I have the right to hunt. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, holy shit, there it is. <laughs> so, okay, all, all the, my aunts saying, no, 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 grandpa was not, a, not, uh, yeah. not native. Then I found out he was Mi'kmaq, Mi'kmaq from uh, no, no, New Brunswick, northern New Brunswick. Um, I'm hoping to get there soon. Well, COVID shut everything down, but I want to spend a week there and try to find my, my grandpa's roots, find out what, uh, what band he was from yep. and, you know, go and, go and visit, go and find my own roots there. I grew up, uh, my father always read me, uh, the Gloose Cap stories oh, yeah. <laughs> growing up. I, uh, have very fond memories of mm-hmm. those stories mm-hmm. and those books. I, uh, I certainly have no indigenous heritage myself. I had my 23 and me done a while ago mm-hmm. and I'm 99.8% Irish. <laughs> Well, that's the other half of me. So we got that in common. <laughs> but uh, I do love those blues cap stories. My, mm-hmm. my dad used to read those to me going to bed every night. And I really, really, really liked those stories. And they were, they were, is that you pronounced it better than me? Mi'kmaq? Well, there's lots of ways to pronounce it. I used to say Mi'kmaq as a yeah, kid. I, yeah. That's what I read. That's yeah. what I saw. Yeah, that's that's the way most people yeah. uh, say it. Um, but I learned, I was told earlier on that it's uh, Mi'kmaq. 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 M-I-G-M-A-W. That's the wrong spelling, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's phonetically, it's Mi'kmaq. Mi'kmaq. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that's where I'm from. <laughs> nice, nice. So when when did you make the move from East Coast to Ontario, and why? Oh, no, I never lived there. Oh, you never lived there? Yeah, okay, that's, no, okay. I never lived there. But my uncles and aunts right. would come and visit us frequently in Petawawa. And, right. Yeah, so we had lots of conversations and, you know, big, musical, crazy fast drink and east coast family and (laughs) so yeah so when i whenever i had a chance to ask them about this i would ask them but they were always uncomfortable with my asking yeah um and so i just chalked it up to okay maybe it's just not a real thing and then when he pulled out that status card i was like yeah okay (laughs) i got the dirt now so you grew up in petawawa Mm -hmm. yeah great place to grow up it was uh you know really small town ottawa river yeah Lots of uh, 
lots of stuff to get into as a kid. Swimming holes and, yep. you know, stick tadpoles in my pocket. My dad actually invented uh, a tool for my mom to turn my pockets inside out because she hated going in there. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good place to grow up. It was, I got to be a kid. I got to use my imagination and I had nine brothers and sisters and I was one of the youngest. So nobody really bothered me. I did pretty much whatever I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> I have mem- similar memories growing up. My cottage is about, uh, about an hour and a half from here. Oh, uh, nice. Just uh, up in the Frontenacs, out in the hills, and spent every weekend up there. Same thing, you know, chasing, chasing tadpoles and frogs and crayfish yeah. with, my, uh, with my 11 cousins. That's the life. Yeah, yeah community and, and the outdoors, your feet on the ground and... Yeah. So when did you land in Smith's Falls? Well, uh, such a long story, but I, I met the love of my life, Freddie, my steady Freddie. I met Freddie when uh, I was living, <laughs> living rough, trying to raise my daughter, and, and uh, I met Freddie telephone dating. <laughs> and I was just, I wanted someone to talk to. I was yeah. kind of in the middle of nowhere and no car and, you know, nobody to talk to but a, an infant and that gets boring fast. Yeah. So I put this uh, ad on this telephone dating thing, and it wasn't computer dating back then. It was telephone dating and a couple of weeks, and it was kind of a meat market, and it was just stupid. And I thought, no, nah, I'm done with this. And so I came back after Christmas, and I was going to race the thing. And then there was this guy on there that said, you know, like, hey, I'm really interested in talking to you some more. And, you know, I'd love to learn more about your Indigenous heritage and, and how do you live your your life like that. And... So anyway, that, that started a, that started a lot of conversations. And then finally I thought, okay, well, this guy's not bullshit. He's kind of real. And so I want to know more about him. And, yeah. and then I ended up marrying him. And so I moved to Smith Falls. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. He's a good guy. Really, really good guy. Nice. So how many years have you been in town? Uh, 21. 21 years. Yeah. So yeah. you're, yeah, you're definitely... You're a, you're a townie at this point. Yeah, you're pretty a, much. You're yeah. Smith Falls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been here three. <laughs> yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's my th- almost three, just shy of three. Yeah. Pre townie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm on my way. But yeah, we moved. I mean, we moved here because we wanted a bit more of a small town life to, uh, yeah. to raise our kids in. We, uh, yeah. It's a great it's a, spot. Yeah. It's a good place for a kid to grow up. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, uh, this art for aid thing. Tell yeah. me all what that is, how that works, what that <clears throat> means. What's the deal? Oh, art for aid. Well, I don't know if we have enough time. So art for aid. So uh, back around 2013, uh, Teresa Spence, who was the chief of Attawapiskat at that time, was up on Parliament Hill and uh, she was fasting. She was, um, you know, trying to gain uh, attention for her community um, and the housing situation that was happening there. Bad, bad housing situations uh, in the north. Um, houses, uh, houses in remote Canada, indigenous communities were um, built and designed for southern Ontario climates. Right. Um, they certainly weren't designed to put fourteen people into a minus twenty winter. You know, condensation, molds, all kinds of problems. So I, I was interested in that. And in the background of every media shot, there were kids, you know, on a phone or watching TV. And I thought, what? Like, what do they do? What do kids do? 
in these communities. Like it doesn't look like they have a lot. So I started to look into it and then that took me to the schools and I made a couple of calls and I spoke to a few teachers and, uh, and a couple of people that uh, connected me to someone to speak to discovered very quickly that there really wasn't a lot of artistic resources for these kids. See, they get the basics, but young people, um, young indigenous people on reserve in school get 30% less funding than non-indigenous students. Uh, And so that, results in in a tremendous lack of resources mm-hmm. um teachers are you know almost always out of pocket if they want to do something special for the kids the teachers have to come up with the money themselves and so the more i learned about that the more i thought that's just not right kids kids and art are like you know kids and puppies right they yeah. they kind of belong together yeah totally um, and so I started uh, thinking about what I could do. You know, at this point, I, I knew that I had some Indigenous background in my heritage and, um, and that I was, you know, the time had passed that you no longer had to be ashamed to be a person who was, yeah. who had Indigenous blood. So I thought, I'm going to step up and, and I'm going to do something, you know, and the best way to affect the future is affect something that's happening right now. And that's, you know, something for the kids. And so I put the word out to a handful of artist friends of mine, and I said, listen, here's what I want to do, and uh, I need some art supplies. We've all got art supplies kicking around that we're not using. So gather up your stuff and put it in a box and, and send it to me, and I'll sort through it, and I'll get it up to the kids. Well, in about two weeks, I couldn't move in my basement. I had boxes everywhere and art right. supplies, and it took me hours and hours to sort through all this stuff, and, and, and I just uh, boxed it and shipped it. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know any different. Then I came to... A greater understanding uh, about working with Indigenous communities and the, the really high turnover of teachers, you know, can sometimes be a bit of a challenge because teachers may be there, you know, one year, the following year you're dealing with a new teacher or they'll be there one or two years and then they leave and another teacher comes in and that happens a lot. Uh, so it makes it hard to keep consistent communication going, but, um, you know, it, it does take a tremendous amount of um communication back and forth to maintain that relationship Mm -hmm. so i try not to just ship art supplies for the sake of shipping them you try to make communication you try to develop a relationship with the schools and uh, and so you can send them what they need you know people love to send stuff to remote communities and they you know that nobody asks you know what do you need what do you want what can we how can we help um people just say well i you know i think they can use this and then they they send that stuff up but you have to take a look at what the logistics are in some of these communities. There's not really a lot of storage. You know, you can ship a pile of stuff up, but if nobody's got a tote to store it in, it's going to pretty much stay in the box that it was shipped in. Yeah. There's no storage cabinets. It's not like they can just order one from Staples. And, you know, so the reality is that there's a lot less there than we have here. And the disconnect is between what they have available to use and what we think they need. Um, so, Communication with these uh, communities is really, really important. And so art supplies really fill a huge gap. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much every community has uh, an artist. I, 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 you'd be hard-pressed to find a community that doesn't have at least one artist in it. Um, and to to be an artist, you have to have tools. You, you can't, you know, you, you can be an artist, but you're unfulfilled if you can't pick up a tool and do your craft. And so I think... Um, Art, for me, is tremendously powerful and healing. Um, it breaks isolation. It, it bridges gaps. It brings shy children forward to try something. Um, mm-hmm. 
it, you know, children are, it's going to take seven generations to help heal the, the residential school trauma that children are, are uh, under the thumb of, you know, they have parents who grew up not knowing how to be parents because they were ripped out of their homes and their culture was taken away and they were beaten and, and, you know, horrible things happened to them. And so there was no role model for them to grow up and know how to be a good parent and raise your child in a community setting with, with the proper teachings and the cultural, uh, the cultural norm that they would normally have, um, colonialism tore that away violently and horribly. Mm -hmm. And so now it's going to take a very long time to heal that. And art is one of the ways that, that people can heal that. And I believe that with all my heart, with all my heart, I believe that art can heal and it can bridge um, huge barriers between people. And so I guess I, I needed to figure out where could I affect change at a source level and art supplies were it. So I thought if I can get the art supplies to the schools, then it's up to the kids to, to do the creativity. And I'm pretty sure they'd be okay with that. Yeah. So yeah, that um that the first box was packed in 2013 and uh and it's just been rolling on since then. <laughs> so that's what you are giving from the consumer's side. What does that look like? How are they able to support this? The consumer side. The, so the like, people out there. The people, the people that want to help you mean? Yeah, how how oh. how is how's the project funded? How uh Oh, okay. You've got I I think I saw some greeting cards for sale. There's mm -hmm. is there prints like uh Yeah, what's yeah. What's the whole uh yeah, the fundraising model. Um, so that's a really interesting thing. You know, I'm really proud of what I've done. Um, I've created a self-sustained funding model while creating a philanthropic enterprise. And uh, I don't receive any government funding. Uh, I'm supported by donations from people who believe in this work. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm also uh, funded by the sales of my art and my art products. Uh, so just last June, uh, we created the Art, Art for Aid shop online. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, I would go to events and sell my 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 goods and uh, and you know raise money that way. And a hundred percent of the proceeds would go back into the bank to ship art supplies and and you know get specialty items for kids that needed it, and also pay for shipping, which is a massive part of the, yeah. the budget. So once we created the, the Shopify store, that made it easier for people. And it, I mean, the timing was just unbelievable, right? Cause there are people are locked into their houses yeah. and, you know, and I thought, oh, like, I'm going to die. There's no way I'm going to be able to ship a single box if I can't go to a, a show and raise money. Mm -hmm. So when we did the store, it just took off like a rocket. And uh, awesome. people were, yeah, people were really like, they want, people want to help Art for Aid succeed. They, they want, they, people recognize the value of art in the hands of a child, you know, the tools in the hand of a child, they get it. And so people are very, very excited to uh, collect art supplies or to make a donation. And uh, two years ago, we teamed up with I Love First Peoples, who um, is a, um, a Canadian registered charity. Uh, their mandate is the same as ours. They, they support uh, education for youth and Indigenous uh, schools. And so they had a conversation with me and uh, talked about maybe bringing Art for Aid under their umbrella as one of their projects uh, because at the time i couldn't accept donations right it was like uh, right. yeah i'd say to people like i can't take a donation because i can't give you a receipt um, and that's going to up my income and so i can get in big tax trouble so uh, i'd tell people to go buy you know cards at desserts gift cards at desserts or you know wallets or something um so that was kind of how i got around that but um you know at the end of the day i got to pay for shipping 
right? And you can't go get a gift certificate from Canada Post. So uh, that became a real challenge. So working with I Love First Peoples, um, they're fantastic. I I love working with them. They're they're like-minded. They're they're really, you know, very efficient. Um, And so when they discovered that I'd never been to any of the places where I'd shipped to, and there was, I, I don't even, I've lost count of how many places we've shipped to. Um, they asked, you know, why, like, how come you've never been to any of these places? You've shipped all over Canada, but you've never been to a single place. And my answer to that is that, you know, it's expensive, you know, it's a thousand dollars plus just to fly to a remote community yeah. and then stay there and, you know, try to, try to, you know, do that and, and put that money aside from a budget. Um, and I said, I can ship a lot of art supplies with a thousand dollars, you know, so that's, that had more value to me yeah. than going and patting myself on the back and say, Hey, look there, I landed at a community, uh, you know, here I am. Um, for me, getting the art supplies into the hands of the kids was more important than me being there. And so they said, well, okay, we're going to fix that. So they brought me up to Natwashish in Northern Newfoundland. So that was the first remote community that I've ever gone to. Cool. And uh, yeah, it was really, oh my gosh, like I can't. There's no words to describe the beauty, you know, of, of these these remote places. Um, but Natwashi stole my heart, and the kids the kids there really stole my heart. And uh, and so, of course, when that happens, you want to do more. <laughs> so we had a fantastic conversation with the principal and the teachers, and uh, you know, we said, "What can we do? What do you need that we can get for you?" Because I believe I can get stuff. I can get stuff. Like mm-hmm. I, I, there are so many people that want to help, and so many people who are just waiting to be asked. Um, so I, you know, I said to them, "You tell me what you need, and I can get it." So they said they wanted a sewing program. So I said, "Okay." So we came back here, and I put the word out, and sure enough, sewing machines are coming in, material, mm-hmm. lots and lots of material. Uh, and so we managed to get that all pulled together with the help of you know, people making donations for shipping and Rotary Club stepped in. Uh, it was Rotary Club from Oakville and Palgrave, I believe. And yeah, I think there was a Rotary Club in Ottawa too. Anyway, a whole pile of people uh, teamed up and, and we ended up shipping, well, I think it was like 350 pounds of machines and art supplies up to Goose Bay and then from Goose Bay up to Natwashish. And it was just a tremendous effort. CBC did a big story on it it was yeah. really great and and so the the very first thing that they said about doing was making costumes for a play that they'd been wanting to put on for a really long time so that was really neat to see that great. happen so now we've we've created that we've taken that uh that small pilot project and we've expanded it into the so-and-so program um and so-and-so puts uh sewing skills labs into remote community schools so we've just um we've partnered with Genomi canada who is a major uh, sewing machine manufacturer Okay, um, and they have very generously donated uh, sixty machines a year for the next uh, three years. The machines retail at nine hundred and fifty dollars a piece. Wow! So yeah, their contribution to this program is absolutely remarkable. Like we just could not get over how how engaging. And they also put out a great big ask for supplies for the program. So we were able to um, send up. Uh, anywhere from 10 to 15 machines per school with 10 boxes of program supplies, um, you know, fully equipped, ready to go. Uh, and this September, they launched them in the schools. So now we're just waiting for um, a report back from the schools, uh, photographs, uh, information, progress report on how it's running so that I can finally wrap up my progress report for December. Yeah. But uh, so far, it's really great. So we've uh, we've got two more years for this project that they're, they're going to stand behind us on. 
Awesome. We're really excited. Cool. Yeah. So in these communities, uh, what, and on the topic of like arts for kids, what is there for them for music? Um, well, I don't think there's a lot. I don't know a lot about the music scene, but I know there are some fantastic organizations. Um, the one that comes to mind, um, Arts Can Circle. <clears throat> is an organization that brings instruments and musicians yeah. up into remote schools and uh, teaches the kids to play. And then uh, I believe they leave the instruments there. Cool. And uh, yeah, yeah. And I think they, I, I don't know if they go back repeatedly or, or I think they must go back a few times. Yeah. Not too sure, but they're, yeah, they're a really, really great organization and they really bring a lot and the kids love it when they're there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's really super. Um, other than that, I'm not really sure. Um there's really, you know, there's a there's a a fair number of really terrific organizations that support remote communities. True North Aid is another one. Uh, they just did a huge campaign where they were sending um, uh, beds, mattresses to to you know for elders. Mm-hmm. Elders are sleeping on the floor sometimes on you know really crappy mattresses or thin pieces of foam. And you know, when your house doesn't have a lot of heat, <laughs> it can get really nasty. Mm-hmm. So they put out a big uh, a big thing and and sent up i don't even know how many now i was just reading it the other day but there's tons of mattresses and bedding and people could sponsor that so that was really nice to see um but as far as art supplies i think art for aid is is probably one of the only one of the only ones that i know doing it i haven't come across too many there's a few little like independent people that are doing stuff mm-hmm. but um but as far as something that's organized on a larger scale it I think we're pretty much it. I Love First Peoples does the uh, wonderful friendship box campaign yeah. where people can buy, um, uh, they can purchase a box, a little like a shoe box size, uh, and uh, and it's stuffed with all kinds of art supplies and stuff that go to the kids. So that's really fun too. And they distribute like 50,000 of these little boxes to the schools. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really fun. So I heard you won an award. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> What's that all about? Uh, so, uh, I won a governor general of Canada's award for a sovereign medal for volunteering. Um, so my, my son-in-law and my daughter, uh, back in, wow, well, 2018, maybe, mm-hmm. um, nominated me for this governor general award. I didn't know anything about it. And, uh, they, uh, I got a call in June of 2019 from the governor general's office and, uh, <laughs> It's such an embarrassing story because I really, I really came off like an ass. Um, this lady, lovely lady, called from the governor general's office, and she told me that I'd been nominated for this award. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was my buddy Kathy. And I said, "You're an ass, Kathy." I said, "What's like, what do you want?" <laughs> <laughs> and so she didn't say anything for a minute or two, and or a second or two, and then she said, "No, this is whatever her name was." And she said, "And I am calling from the office of the Governor General of Canada." And all of a sudden, I had ice water in my veins. <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit, what have I just done?" And of course, I'm red, red, red in the face, and I'm hot as hell. And I said, "I'm I I can't even begin to say I'm sorry enough." I said, "I." don't even know what came over me there. I said, I just really didn't think. And she just laughed and said, you know, it's okay. It's okay. So she was very gracious. Uh, but then she told me all about this award and, you know, I said, like, you, you got to start all over. Cause mm-hmm. you know, I was clearly, I wasn't listening. I thought it was a joke. So you're going to have to repeat all of this. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, she did and, and that happened. And so just this past, uh, summer, 
my husband and daughter, youngest daughter, and I went to um, Rideau Hall, beautiful place. And so I kind of felt like I was sneaking into the enemy camp to steal the flag. (laughs) (laughs) So I went in and I got to sit with Jeremy Dutcher, who's a pretty impressive guy too. So I got to chat with him for a little bit. So that was really nice. And uh, and and Hamby presented a, a a medal, a Governor General's medal from Mary May Simon. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it was pretty heady stuff. It really, was pretty heady stuff. But now it's in my underwear drawer, and I'm you know yeah. I'm back to normal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations, all the same. Thank you so much. But as I was saying, art on the walls. You got an exhibit here mm-hmm. at the Arts Hub. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be doing that art talk, and your art's going to be on the walls all of December. What is what's next for you after that? What's your? I'm sure you're doing lots more with Art for Aid. From the sounds of that, that's only growing and and yeah. not stopping. Big mm-hmm. snowball rolling there. Yeah. But what what about uh, you? Got other exhibits? You got some other uh, other sort of projects up your sleeve? You're uh, you're planning. Uh, well, um, from a, a, an artist's perspective, trying to get some painting done because it's just like I don't get very much time to paint anymore. Right. And that that is my grounding. So it's really, you know, I find I'm really off balance when I, I don't get to paint. Uh, so I've really forced myself to just quiet down December and yeah. and I'm just trying to do some more painting. So I've knocked off a few pieces, but <clears throat> no exhibits or anything so far. Uh, so, you know, if you're listening out there, I'm wide open. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Art for Aid has a couple of projects in the hopper. I'm still working on those, doing some research and funding, uh, looking at the possibility of uh, maybe installing a 3D printer farm in a northern community. Oh, cool. um, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll see what's going on with that. I've discovered a few discrepancies that uh, lacks, not really discrepancies, lacks in the education system in, uh, in Nunavut. And so I'm working to address something, something with that. Um, and then, you know what, I've got an idea folder as long as my arms. So, yeah. you know, once I get through one, one idea, there's just, you know, I pull out another one and okay, well, what's next? And, you know, I'm really a what next person. I don't like, I don't like a lot of downtime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that said, I sure wish I had some downtime, but it's, yeah. So, it's just a constantly evolving, you know, I do product product development and stuff, and I really, really, really want to start working with uh, kids in remote community schools, high school kids, really, to get them feeling what it's like to work with synthetic paper and watercolor, mm-hmm. ground mineral watercolor uh, paints. Um, so, you know, there may be, maybe I'll, I'll go to a community at some point soon to be able to work with the youth there and, and teach them a little bit about art and uh, see if they connect to this, this form of painting. And then, you know, I would really love to do something with them on a, on a more of a, a creative scale, you know, as far as developing their, their work into something that can bring an income for their school. Mm-hmm. So there's just, there's so many things. I mean, my gosh, like my brain, my brain just explodes every time I think about the things I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm one person, you know, and I've been running this for nine years and I'm really tired. <laughs> so I could use some volunteer help, you know, again, if anybody's out there, <laughs> I could use some volunteer help. Um, and what I need is consistency, you know, yeah. 
So it, if there is somebody out there listening then and they and they do want to take part, they they want to volunteer, what's what's their first step? Email me. Email me at uh, artforaid2013 at gmail.com. I'm trying to build a, a volunteer schedule. You know, for the first time in, in nine years, Art for Aid is out of my basement. Yeah. Uh, and the art supplies are now in their own uh, shipping warehouse, which is absolutely wonderful. But the, um, you know, I need... I need people who can uh, reach out to contact the schools and and get acceptance for a shipment, uh, you know, and that that's always ongoing. Sorting and packing art supplies, packing boxes, uh, creating the shipping labels, getting you know, I put seventeen boxes in my car last week to get to the post office. It was a fourteen hundred dollar shipment mm-hmm. to to these schools. So, you know, it's just absolutely crazy how much work there is to do. And it's just gotten so big that, that it's beyond me. Administrative stuff is like my nemesis. Like I'm a shoebox filer. I'm terrible. My accountant, I'm sure he should hate me, but he doesn't. (laughs) I just bring him my shoeboxes stuff Mm -hmm. and he does his magic and thank God for him. Um, but yeah, I need like, you know, administrative help. I need, uh, and everything. Everything. I just need a break from everything. It's just so crazy. So that's the email. And what's the website people can go to to, to check out Art for Aid? Uh, Art for Aid is at www.artforaid.ca. And our store, our online store, because it's Christmas and people are shopping, uh, artforaidshop.ca. www.artforaidshop.ca. Great. And and what are they going to find on in terms of products for, for shopping? Well, the Shopify store uh, has uh, archival quality 16 by 20 signed prints. They come foam-backed and uh, in a protective sleeve. They're ready to drop into any commercially made frame. So any 16 by 20 frame you want to get at Michael's, you can pop them right in. Mm-hmm. There's a built-in matting around the outside, so they look beautiful. Um, I have a professional art printer who does all the work for me. I have uh, gorgeous 20 22 calendars are out right now. I have to go pick the batch up tomorrow and they are stunning. I really love those. I have indigenously decorated note card packages. I have art cards. Ah, geez, there's so many things. <laughs> Playing cards. Uh, there's lots of different products on the store, but uh, all of the all of the art products uh, come with the story that accompanies the art. The stories are an integral part of the artwork. Um, and I'm very, very grateful to um, you know places like the Arts Hub, when you put up uh, the story with the artwork, you cannot know what that means to me because yeah. when I, when you know places put up the art but not the story, they're only putting up half of the piece because right. the story is is part of the magic. Um, so every single piece of uh, work that I sell has an accompanying story. The story goes with the art all the time. Mm-hmm. So how does that jumping back to sort of how you were talking about your your medium and 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 having to sort of give yourself over to the flow of the water mm-hmm. how does that work for you in trying to tell a story are you working with predefined stories or are you just sort of working with is the paint itself t- controlling the the way the story flows sometimes yeah sometimes yeah like um sometimes i will i'll have an idea of what i want to do and i'll sit down and nothing will work out and it becomes something else. 
Um, other times I will just sit. It's a very, very meditative process, you know, and I'll put my, my headphones on and I'll put my music on. And uh, I have very particular type of music that I listen to when I paint like this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'll put the music on and, and the world goes away. Once you start working with this and you, you block out all of the background noise and you just immerse yourself, you become hypnotized by what's happening and you really go into this beautiful meditative state and, and it is just so powerful. I I mean, I've had people walk right beside me and I've not even seen them. Mm -hmm. They're invisible because you're just so entrenched in this. And sometimes that's when really cool stuff happens. You know, when you can really let go and you can really stop thinking about what's on your schedule for tomorrow or do I have to pee now or should I wait till later? Like if you can lock all of that away and just immerse yourself in the process, you really do get lost in it. Mm -hmm. And that's when the magic happens. That's when you don't care about what you're creating creating and the water creates its own form the water starts to take on its own shape and all of these little faces start to come forward and these little little creatures come out of the 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 shade and the color of the paint and you know suddenly you'll you'll add uh, you know something that has some hematite into it and you'll add that to a, a bit of paint that has silica in it and there's this explosion that happens on the paper in front of you and then you just watch it you're mesmerized as you watch it happen in front of you you know this is real time geological stuff going on mm-hmm. and uh, and so you really do get lost in it so sometimes it paints itself and then, and the story sort of filters in. I look at it and I think, wow, oh, this looks like, you know, and then I'll remember, you know, something that I've been taught or story that an elder has shared or, or something. I've got an extensive journal of, of my journey on this road. And um, I'll go back to that frequently and be inspired by things. Uh, sometimes I'm inspired by, a, um, you know, a picture. Like just today, uh, somebody posted a, a picture of um, a, a white Icelandic pony standing in front of a winter waterfall mm-hmm. i thought oh my god like the just the, you know the minute i see it, it's all the blues and the the grays and the whites and i thought oh that's so magical so you know i like screen cap that and then i'll use it as reference later on and probably create something like that other times i have a very specific uh lesson or or a teaching or an understanding that i think is important to share and i think that's you know, years ago, um, I decided that I wanted my art to speak. You know, for me, I wanted, I wanted it to be able to tell the stories that I have, that I carry, mm-hmm. and um, and the things that I've learned that have helped me in my life to to walk a, a good road and to to live a, a good life, a fulfilling life, a kind life. And uh, and so I use my art to do that. And so sometimes I will have a very specific. Uh, thing in mind, like the seven grandfather teachings. When I did that, I wanted to convey all of those seven teachings in that painting. Mm-hmm. The power of the the horse in, in the uh, to the indigenous people, the plains people. Um, sometimes my pieces will convey that power and that that strength and the stories of the horse. So uh, a lot of times, you know, sometimes well, not a lot of times. Sometimes the stories are there already, and sometimes they come along. You know, it's really a, it's a hard thing to describe because it's just like a living thing. It just morphs and changes and yeah, it's its own, it's its own life. Art is a living thing. Yeah. Mm. What would your advice be for somebody who like hasn't painted before? Do this. 
but think they might like to to dabble. Mm. If you've never painted before, you're probably going to be my favorite student. I mentioned before that people who are classically trained artists um, struggle Uh with this technique because it doesn't fit into the rules that they know. But people who can't paint a stick figure have a really good time with this. Yeah. Yeah, a really good time because you don't have to make anything. The object is to just enjoy the interactions happening on the paper in front of you. Your object is not to create a, a fox jumping over a fence with a barn in the background. It's just to see what happens when you add something that has hematite to something that has silica or when you add something that has tiger's eye to something that has lapis lazuli and watch what happens on the paper. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the fun for me when I first started was was learning how this stuff interacts with each other because it doesn't get absorbed. It stays on the surface. Mm -hmm. So you're watching it happen in real time and and the water acts like a magnifying glass. So it really kind of blows this up. And if you take your camera and hold it over top, well, that magnifies it even more. So it's like watching your painting under a microscope. It's just mind-blowingly fun. And I mean, people that don't know how to paint, they have a really good time with this. I, I I love people who come and say, I can't draw a stick figure i can't yeah i don't even know how to hold a paintbrush i tell them sit down you're gonna have a really good time mm-hmm. and they always do yeah they always do yeah it sounds like a lot of fun so what's what's teaching look like for you for for on a local level let's say like what uh where do you where do you know, i teach yeah where do you teach how do you teach how does how um, does one get a, a lesson with you oh well you have to find the golden egg <laughs> Um, no, for you, um, you can contact me. Um, I keep, so my, my art, uh, career, my teaching, teaching my art and selling my original art. That's how I pay my bills. Yeah. Uh, everything that is generated for art for aid from my art goes to art for aid. So I keep the two very, very separate so yeah. that I don't get into trouble. Yeah. Um, so, uh, to contact me for art lessons, it's uh, Colleen Gray art at gmail.com and my art site is colleen gray art.ca <laughs> i think so colleen gray art.ca i don't call myself much um so yeah if people wanted to uh have a lesson uh, i do private lessons i do private group lessons um sometimes i'll have a, i'll rent a venue and and i'll you know put the word out and then like it gets filled up pretty fast yeah um but uh, yeah, the, like the private group lessons are fun, you know, because usually you get like, you know, five, six, seven, eight people and you're at someone's house and everybody's having a glass of wine and they're, you know, they're, they're feeling really loose and, and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other levels of, um, of lessons, you know, those are really fun. But then there are other more serious levels. So people who want to really like dig into the meditative process and, and really experience um, the deeper side of painting this way, um, you know, those are those are a whole other level of lesson. Uh, but I mean, I'm happy to do you know one or the other, but the two never mix. Like if you, right. you know, you're not going to get that cool meditative groove going on if you've got four people over here drinking wine and partying yeah. it up. You just, yeah, yeah. you know, it's oil and water. Um, but yeah, so I, I do do lessons. Um, you know, if people have a, a venue where they, you know, they want to uh, have people come and and do a group, I'll show up. Uh, I charge $75 a person and I supply all of the materials and the lesson is about four hours. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's a really good time. <laughs> Pulling it back to local. Okay. You said 21 years, I think is what you said you've been. How, how yeah. have you been noticing the town change? Oh, wow. 
Oh, so much. The downtown reconfiguration is really nice. I've noticed a lot more really cool businesses uh, coming in. Mm-hmm. And sadly, you know, a lot of businesses that were here for a really long time closing up and leaving. And that's always hard to see. When Rito Regional closed up and all the jobs got lost, that was really hard to mm-hmm. see. Uh, same with the the chocolate plant when that closed up. But I mean, you know, it's booming now. So, I mean, there's been the real estate alone out here is just wild. Yeah. There's so many houses now. So the, the changes in the past 20 years are just staggering. But I mean, it's like that everywhere, like Carlton Place too. Yeah. You know, I, I got, I did a, a demographic study a few years ago because uh, I, you know, I really wanted to put up an, an art gallery in uh, Carlton Place. So I went into the township office and I took a look at the the, the um, forecasted growth uh, for Carlton Place. Yeah. And this was three years ago, I think, 92% projected growth for wow. Carlton Place <laughs> over the next 10 years. So, I mean, if, you know, if that's happening there, that's happening here. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's, you know, that's what I've seen going on in Lanark County. Um, the other really nice thing that I've seen uh, happening is that there's, a lot more indigenous engagement. You know, there's 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 a pretty fair population of indigenous people here who have mm-hmm. been really quiet for a very long time. Um, doing their own thing, you know, around ceremonies and, and gatherings and stuff. But, you know, now in Perth, you've got the Perth Healing Forest. Miss Falls has an incredible powwow now in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's more um, there's more engagement, you know, like indigenous people are are stepping forward and and not being so intimidated not being so afraid to to speak up and say look i'm right here yeah and and people are coming you know people want to learn people want to engage and they want to they want to know you know what's the tobacco for and how do you smudge and so it's really great you know i do some talks in schools as well i have a program called earth to sky where i come in and i talk to young people um not not so much about the hardships being faced in remote schools, because we all know that the hardships are there, but uh, about the really cool things that that are happening, you know, mm-hmm. the 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 potential and the victory, and and we want, you know, we obviously we want these young people, non-indigenous young people, to be aware that these issues exist because they're going to grow up, they're going to vote, they're going to make changes, and we want them to have that understanding that indigenous people need support. So, yeah, so the talk really revolves around uh, the state of our planet, uh, around the art. I use the art as the vehicle to deliver the message to the young people. Um, and, you know, it's a, it can morph and change depending on what, what kind of time constraints there are. But for the most part, we, we touch on art for aid and, and what we do and how the kids can help. And we have uh, bare heart contact cards, which are fantastic tools for, for teachers. They can download the template off the website and young people are invited to write a positive message or draw something. And then we take those cards, they mail them to the art for aid office. We take the cards and we put them into the art supply boxes that go to the schools. So kids in remote schools, um, you know, the teachers will give these cards out and the kids can read them. And they know that somebody out here is thinking about them. They're not forgotten. They're not invisible. They're, they're seen. Um, and so it's a way to just create a bit of a bridge, you know, to, to create that, that connection between young people. And I think it's really important that um, Indigenous youth recognize that non-Indigenous youth are rooting for them, you know, are, right. are, are wanting them to, to rise above 
the, the, the struggles that, that they're facing and the limitations that remote community life is bringing to them sometimes and fight against colonization. You know, that's, that's a fight that's going to take a lot of effort. Yeah. Long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it took 150 years to build this conspiracy. It's going to take a little bit of time to unravel it. Yeah. Yeah. Truth first, reconciliation next. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much, Colleen. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Matt. Talking about your art and learning about your your history and your art and your projects and all the great things you're doing. <laughs> thank you. So thank you very much for being on the show. That's ColleenGrayArt.ca, you said. Mm-hmm. Art for Aid, Colleen Gray, on exhibit at the Arts Hub right now. Thanks again, Colleen. Thanks, Matt. And that was my talk with Colleen Gray. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. And don't forget about the Christmas show on Friday and Saturday, third annual Amber McLean Christmas show at the Station Theater. The show is at the Station Theater this year. Full capacity, soft seater theater show. Come on out. Till next time. Bye-bye.